Today's message is called The Gift of the Spirit. Tell the person next to you, The Gift of the Spirit. Tell them, I'm excited. Come on. So when you trust in Jesus, it's like Christmas morning. You run to the tree. You're so excited. There's this big bag of gifts. And you take out the one in the top of the bag and you open it up and it's salvation. And you're like, Jesus, this is amazing. Thank you for saving me. It's so perfectly tailored to you. Salvation is the word sozo in the Greek. It means saved, but also healed, delivered, protected, preserved, prospered, and made whole. And that gift, come on, that gift is so handcrafted to us. All the places that you have broken spots, Jesus makes them whole. All the places that you need healing, he heals. All the places you need deliverance or protection, he comes in perfectly handcrafted to who you are, and he does what you cannot. And it's such a good gift. We get so excited about it. We take that gift and we go live our lives because we're like, this is amazing. But then someone tells us that there were more handcrafted gifts in that bag from God himself. And the goal of this series is to take out all the gifts, open all the gifts, and operate in them the way that God intended for us to live. Now, we're not talking about natural gifts like your athletic talent or your school smarts or, you know, all the things that you just naturally do well and then you work hard to do. We're talking about spiritual gifts. These are gifts that we receive after we trust in Jesus and we receive his Holy Spirit. These are gifts that enhance our natural abilities. We're gonna talk about those gifts next week. There's administration, craftsmanship. I love that gift because it really is just being made in the image of God and making things and showing off his beauty in the world. Um, hospitality, worship, mercy, giving, exhortation, and service. And these are gifts that are specific to different people. When you're born again and you trust in Jesus, he enhances those gifts. But then there are gifts that enable us to do what's humanly impossible. Gifts of faith, healings, miracles, words of wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. These gifts are available to all believers. And some of us have just never heard about them. They're just still in that big bag from Jesus. And then there are gifts to equip the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We're not gonna spend as much time on those for our purposes, but those are all the gifts we're gonna be talking about throughout this whole series. And today I just wanna lay a foundation for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. God does not give everyone the same gifts. There are different kinds. God loves differences. Nor does he give any one of us all of the gifts because he wants us to need each other. You know, if you think about us, we like to be like other people. We like conformity. You know, we like to compare, but God makes us unique on purpose. He makes us with different gifts from the same Spirit. We're going to discover who the Holy Spirit is today. In order to understand the gift, we want to get to know the giver. We have different expectations when it comes to gifts 
depending on who's doing the giving. You know what I'm talking about. I think of the movie A Christmas Story. My family likes to watch that on Thanksgiving, you know, about Ralphie and his family back in the day. Well, a lot of people think the Holy Spirit is like Aunt Clara, and he's going to give you the pink bunny footy pajamas. You know what I'm talking about, that you're like, no, thank you, you just keep that. He's not like that. He's like the mom and dad with the Red Rider BB gun. Come on, he gives good gifts. He gives the best gifts. The Holy Spirit existed from the beginning of time with God, the Father, the creator of the universe. He existed with Jesus, our Savior, the Word of God. In the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-2 says, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, like we sang this morning. The Holy Spirit is present throughout the Bible. The power of the Holy Spirit is how the Virgin Mary conceived Jesus. An angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to be the mother to the Son of God. And she says, how, how will that work exactly? I'm a virgin. And Luke 1.35, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of God shall overshadow you, so the baby born to you will be utterly holy, the Son of God. And the thing is, that still doesn't completely explain all the mechanics, but that's where faith comes in. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no baby Jesus. Jesus was fully God. Fully man and filled with the Spirit of God. Luke 2.40 says, The child Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And when he was baptized to begin his ministry as an adult, the Spirit came upon him in a special way. Luke 3.22, The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I love this verse so much because this is so much of who God is. He says, Jesus, I'm pleased with you before you even start your ministry, before you even do what you came to do, before you do any miracles, I love you and I'm pleased with you for who you are. And because of Jesus, God says the same thing to us. When we trust in him, he says, man, I love you. Man, I'm pleased with you. Come on. He's so good. The Holy Spirit is with Jesus then throughout his ministry, and Jesus gives the same Spirit to us. Today we're going to talk about the characteristics of the Spirit, and the first one is that he is the gift. He's the gift. Jesus was talking to his disciples about his upcoming crucifixion, and they didn't understand what he was talking about, but here's what he says, John 16, 7, the truth is that my departure will be a gift that will serve you well, because if I don't leave, the great helper will not come to your aid. When I leave, I will send him to you. My departure is a gift, because then you'll receive the gift of salvation. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be set free from sin and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the helper. Another translation says, verse 7, the fact of the matter is that it's best for you that I go away, for if I don't, the comforter won't come. If I do, he will, for I will send him to you. Second characteristic of the Holy Spirit is that he is the comforter. He's the comforter. He comforts us. There's so much scripture that talks about this. He helps us. He leads us into understanding who Jesus is. 
He gives us strength in hard times. And then that word comforter in that passage, the Greek word is actually attorney. Which, I mean, seems kind of weird. Like, I don't know if I need an attorney. Attorney, one who presents evidence on your behalf. Which makes sense when you read the next couple verses. Verse 8, when he has come, he will convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. Simply not believing. There is righteousness available because I go to the Father and you shall see me no more. There is deliverance from judgment because the prince of this world has already been judged. This verse shows us the Holy Spirit is the convincer. It's the third thing. He's the convincer. People call him the convictor. That's because they're taking this passage out of context. I love how Jesus explains it here. Depending on who you are, the Holy Spirit relates to you differently. If you don't know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is more like the attorney for the prosecution. He's presenting evidence to you that you need Jesus and that his goodness is available to you. He's presenting evidence of God's goodness, not of all the things that you do wrong. The world's sin is simply not believing in Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, he's like the prosecution to you. But if you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is more like the defense attorney, presenting evidence for why you are set free because of the blood of Jesus. Come on. He reminds you, you don't have to walk around in guilt and shame and condemnation. You don't have to walk in sin because Jesus set you free. The blood of Jesus clears your name. Come on. When it comes to judgment, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we talked about that last week. If you missed it, you should listen on our website, nyhopechurch.com. Super helpful. Next thing about the Holy Spirit is it he's the guide. The guide. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's your guide. Don't you love that about Jesus? He didn't just leave us. He's like, I'm sending you a guide. It's kind of like having a mentor. I just graduated this week from my mentorship program with Propel Ecclesia. Yeah. And part of that experience was having a mentor, one who had gone further than me, who could advise me and coach me and guide me. And my mentor's name is Tara Beth Leach. And she uh, was a pastor of a megachurch in California. She's gone further than me. She's an expert who has been to places that I have not. And she helped me to see what I could not. And the Holy Spirit does that same thing for us. He's our own personal mentor. The Bible talks a lot about being led by the Spirit, letting Him guide us, surrendering and submitting our plans to Him, and then He helps us to walk in authority and in the truth. I love that. He's the guide. Next one is the Holy Spirit is the confirmation. The confirmation. He always points to Jesus. He always confirms the gospel being preached. After the resurrection, when Jesus had risen from the dead, he's about to go to heaven and he says to his disciples, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. 
They'll cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. This is the words of Jesus, you guys. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked through them. The Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. That's what God does. And Jesus modeled this throughout his ministry. Then he says to the disciples and to us, go and tell people about me and use the tools and the gifts that I'm giving you. And we have the same mission as Jesus. We have the same spirit. Come on. Jesus promised that miraculous signs would accompany those who believe and that he would confirm his word by signs and wonders, by miracles. And I love that because God does that sometimes here. I was preaching a few months ago, and I said something like, Jesus wants to heal you. And after the experience, someone came up to me and they said, when you said those words, I had something going on in my head. I had migraines, I had congestion, and it left immediately. God did that. Nobody prayed over that person. It wasn't the words that I said. It was God. That's what he does. Another time our prayer team prayed for someone who was being evicted and God provided alternative housing for him that afternoon. Come on. Sometimes we feel God's presence descend on us in a special way. He's always here with us. He's omnipresent. That means he's in the whole world at all times. But sometimes he makes his presence known. And just because we don't feel his presence all the time doesn't mean he's not with us. But there are some times when his presence can be physically experienced. I felt him here this morning, and I hope you did too. And what does he feel like? It's different for different people. One time I was talking with the band backstage, and we were coaching some of the teens just about what it means to feel God's presence. And I said, you know, sometimes it feels like just this love and this intangible It's kind of like goosebumps. But someone else said, I feel this peace. And someone else said, I feel this joy. And I love it because you can't put God in a box. He is here with us today. Come on. And he created us to physically experience a lot of things, including his presence. Some of you have seen angels above this stage. It's in the Bible. But in our modern church, we get nervous about these things. We hear of people who have swung the pendulum so far one way, or people who say things that didn't actually happen, and we get afraid. We're afraid to talk about it. We don't want people to think we're crazy. We don't want to offend someone. But you guys, we believe in a Savior who was born from a virgin. We believe in a King who rose from the dead. He performed miracles. Come on, that's who he is. It's not crazy. It's supernatural. It's not crazy. It's God. Don't put him in a box. You'll miss out on who he is. In Acts, when the Holy Spirit showed up, people were accused of being drunk. We look at it. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I love that. God's drawing people in. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So funny. Then Peter showed up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I love Peter. You guys, it's nine in the morning. Come on. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Come on. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are the times we're living in now. We live in the age when anyone who calls on the name of Jesus is saved. Come on. And we believe that. We can also believe everything that came in the passage before it about God promising to pour out his spirit on his people. Come on. And it's so silly because, you know, the people that are watching are trying to explain the supernatural with the natural. So they're like, probably these people are drunk. But you can't explain God. Sometimes the spirit does things we don't understand. It's okay. When people encounter God's spirit, sometimes they're so full of joy that they laugh uncontrollably. Some people feel so loved that they cry. Some people speak in tongues. Sometimes we swing the pendulum too far the other way, and instead of all the crazy, we go to control and order, and we go to a God that we can explain. But that's not healthy either. At Hope, we want to do what the Bible says. We want to believe what the Bible says. We want to take hold of everything God has given us by faith. We don't want to leave any gifts unopened in that big bag from Jesus. We say, God, we take them all. Amen. Let it be so in our lives. Come on. If you think about it, the only place that everything is perfectly explainable and perfectly controlled and perfectly in order is a cemetery where there's dead people, okay? It's controlled because everything's dead. But we want to be like a delivery floor at a hospital, full of new life, full of joy, and a little bit unpredictable. That's okay. God puts leadership in place to help us when we don't understand. And that's why Peter was teaching the crowd about the Spirit. And that's why I'm here. That's why there's leaders of hope here. God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, men and women, young and old, every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Don't limit him. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. He doesn't want you to be shy. He wants you to be bold, 
but he also wants you to operate with love. And he also wants you to use wisdom. I love that about him. He doesn't want you to be embarrassed. Some of us are embarrassed about our gifts. It's not about you. The purpose of our gifts is to give glory to God. We can't control them because they don't come from us. I was reading a book this week about people with the gift of healing, and they were talking about one of the best healers, and they were saying she has a 42% healing rate. That's the, one of the best. What does that mean? That means 58% of the time, the people that she prays for don't get healed. But she prays anyway because it's not about her and because that's where faith comes in. We live by faith and not by sight. We trust in the Lord. We don't lean on our own understanding. We say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then we trust him for the results. In our society, though, we're so obsessed with doing everything perfectly, we're afraid to step out in faith. We're afraid to use our gifts. Because what if God doesn't show up? Can I just say it's not about us? It's about him. It's about being willing to trust him and obey him, surrender to him, submit to him. It's about being free from fear of how we look and what people think about us. It's about him. The sixth characteristic of the Holy Spirit is that he is the giver. The giver. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So many good things. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He gives us freedom. He gives us the spirit of power. He gives us freedom from sin, shame, guilt, condemnation, and he gives us spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. It doesn't say God has given some of you a gift. God has given the special people a gift. God has given the mature people a gift. No, 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 no. He gives each of us a gift. Come on. And he doesn't give us all the same gifts. He gives us a gift from his great variety. He's so creative. He gives us different gifts so we can serve each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. These spiritual gifts, they're called gifts of grace in that passage. Gifts of grace because we receive grace through Jesus. You know, by grace you have been saved through faith. We receive salvation through grace. But then he gives us these little droplets of grace in his gifts, little deposits of grace that we receive and then we give them away by serving each other, by helping each other. These gifts aren't earned by anything we do or say. They're just given to us by God because he loves us. And it's like that big bag of gifts on Christmas morning. And unlike Christmas morning, it's not just for us. We're not just opening our presents to keep but also to give away, to receive grace and give it. Spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit in us, helping us encourage and build up other people. Some of them are in the day-to-day, and some are for special moments and circumstances. Verse 8, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. You ever have those moments where you're like, wow, somebody is telling me something, and I don't know what to say, or those moments where you're like, whoa, I, that did not come from me. That wisdom, that was not from me. That's the gift of God. 
That's him giving you what you couldn't know or understand. That's his grace on you. Verse 9, the same spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives you faith that you can't make happen in your own power, faith that you can't just drum up, but faith where you're like, man, I trust God in this situation completely. I know he's going to come through. And you know that faith doesn't come from you. You're like, I have so much peace. I don't know why, because it's a gift from God. Or maybe you and a friend pray over someone, and God heals them in that moment. Maybe that's not something you normally do, but in that moment, he wants to heal that person, and they're healed. Verse 10, he gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. All of those gifts, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, we're going to talk about all these in the coming weeks. They're available to all of us, but not all of us have them. 1 Corinthians 12.30, do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So we should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. There are nine gifts of the Spirit that are available to every believer because of grace. Faith, healings, miracles, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, prophecy, tongues, interpretation. He says, desire those gifts. I heard someone say once, it's like being in a candy shop and you look up on the shelves and there's all these beautiful nine jars full of gifts and you can desire whichever one you want. And maybe you see your friend grab one and you're a little bit jealous, like, they got that gift. The thing is, you can have it too. You can have as much of God as you want. Celebrate for them. Come on. Desire the gifts. Ask for the gifts. You have a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Look, all of you are flawed in so many ways, yet in spite of all your faults, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to all who ask? <laughs> ask the giver. Ask him. And then look for opportunities to operate in faith. Look for opportunities to do what he says. Not to build your platform, but to bring him glory. Our gifts are to build and nourish his church, the people of God, and to show people who don't know God how much he loves them. If we use our gifts for attention or to impress people, we're missing it. It's not about us. The gifts point to the giver. I don't teach and preach so you'll say, wow, great job today, pastor. That encourages me for sure. But as I prepare to speak, I believe that Jesus will be what people walk away with. I believe that people will be amazed by the giver. Come on. If Jesus doesn't show up, if the Holy Spirit doesn't use me, then I'm doing this for nothing. This is the Holy Spirit using me to point to Jesus. Another example is like being an instrument and the Holy Spirit's the musician. He shows off who he is through us. We're the instrument. And as for discovering your gifts, the ones that are specific to you, you can ask God the giver who he made you to be. You can examine what you enjoy, what you do well, 
Those ones we talked about at the beginning, administration, craftsmanship, hospitality, worship, mercy, giving, exhortation, service, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We're going to be talking about those ones next week. On our next family night, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, 1130, at 6.30 p.m., we're going to help you discover your gifts. We're going to answer some simple questions on paper at our family night tables. It's going to be a safe environment to discover what God put in you. If you haven't been to family night yet, it's for your whole family. They're going to love it. Make some noise if you love family night. Come on. You can register using this code. So the Holy Spirit is so many things. He's our gift, our comforter, our convincer, our guide, the confirmation, and the giver. Once you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But it's one thing to have the Spirit in you, and it's another to be baptized in the Spirit. It's one thing to have access to the gift. It's another thing to open it up. The Bible actually talks about three baptisms. I want to look at them with you as we get ready to close today. The first one is being baptized in God's family through the Holy Spirit by trusting in Jesus. So basically, the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit does a work in you. Your spirit wakes up to who God is, and you become a part of God's family. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Holy Spirit has fitted us all together in one body. We have been baptized into Christ's body by the one spirit and have all been given the same Holy Spirit. So that's the first baptism. The second one is being baptized in water. And the third one is being baptized in the Spirit. And we're going to look at those. Jesus said in Acts 1.5, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the word baptized there means to be immersed. Immersed in the Holy Spirit. So when we baptize with water, you know, we go down and we come back up. But when we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, it's being surrounded by him. And the Greek word is actually... It's funny, it's a word they use in a pickling recipe, to be pickled. It's like when you put a cucumber in vinegar and spices and, well, I don't know, whatever all y'all put in there to make your pickles. Its whole state is transformed. You leave it in that water and it goes in a cucumber, but it comes out a pickle. That's what it means to be baptized in the Spirit, to allow His Spirit to transform us into who He made us to be. It's an experience that God wants for all of us. Acts 19 explains all these baptisms. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you are thinking that today. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So these people believed what John had said about Jesus, but they did not yet believe in Jesus. They didn't know that was an option. So right then and there, they trust in Jesus. And then it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then it says the Holy Spirit came upon them when Paul laid his hands on them. And the Holy Spirit gave them gifts like he does. They were speaking in tongues and they were prophesying. 1 John 5, 7 says it like this. There are three that bear record in heaven. There's the Father, 
the word Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And then there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. And he's saying the order backwards there, but he's saying the blood of Jesus is what saves us and we become a new person. He's saying water baptism is the next step of surrender. It's our old nature being cut off. And baptism in the spirit is the power to walk in our new nature. It releases power into us for what God has called us to do. He didn't just save you from sin. He saved you to empower you. And there's no formula. Believe me, God can't be relegated to a formula. And just like salvation, the Holy Spirit is not something to be earned. He's a person. He comforts us. He convinces us. He guides us. He gives to us. And we receive him by faith. Galatians 3.14, this is what God had in mind all along. The blessing he gave to Abraham might extend to all nations through the anointed one, Jesus. And we are the beneficiaries of the promise of the Spirit that comes only through faith. Don't let anybody tell you that you need to do stuff in order to earn what God has freely given. Jesus already did it all. Sometimes God uses the laying on of hands like he did with Paul. And sometimes he just does what he wants. In Acts, the Holy Spirit fell while the word of God was being spoken. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking the good news about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And I love this here because the word fell is the same Greek word used for the father embracing the prodigal son. It was as though the Holy Spirit was embracing each person with his love. And that's really what being baptized in the Spirit is. It's allowing God to embrace you with his love. And that starts with believing in his son, Jesus, 